guys and gals, welcome to the Oxford Holy Club, a place where we ready ourselves to give an answer for the hope that's in us. We will also try to answer your questions, random questions from the interwebs, and have some fun too. So put some seatbelts on your ears because we're in for a wild ride. Well, hey, ladies and gentlemen, it's your host, Brad Siliker and Lucas Candy. And we're super excited to be with you. Thank you for joining us at the Oxford Holy Club, your podcast of choice. If you're hearing those raspy, crackly sounds of my voice, it's because I'm a little sick tonight. Got the cold. Uh, how are you feeling tonight, Lucas? Uh, pretty good. I'm getting over something myself. I Unfortunately, we never recorded when I have that. Like My favorite thing about getting a cold is when my voice goes like super deep and awesome. At least that's what it sounds like from inside my head. Um, but yeah, I'm kind of over it. So tired. Um, so I was so tired today. I, I, I've got this kind of parenting life hack, which I mean, any dads out there can feel free to, you know, do. And, and that's, you want to spend time with your kids, but you also don't want to, you know, stand or move around a whole lot. (laughs) So the way I've worked around that is I invented a game called daddy bridge where I lay down between our couch and like our big comfy chair Yes. And the kids would just walk across me uh, back and forth, back and forth, and I'm like the bridge. And to them, it's like the funnest thing in the world. And to me, I get to lay down and have a little snooze um, and get one of those little, like, I don't know which massage it's called when people walk on your back, but one of those. Although they found, like, the one sore spot and they like to jump on it. But uh, other than that, it's an excellent maneuver. Are those massages people pay for? Uh, I don't know. I, I like most things in my life. I've seen it on TV, but have no idea if it's actually a thing. I don't. Yeah, I don't think that's a real thing, Lucas. Um, <laughs> now, I also play a similar game with my children, but uh, they they want to play. Tick- they're like, Daddy, play Tickle Monster. And I say, sure. But remember, the Tickle Monster is asleep and you have to try and walk past the tickle monster as quietly as possible. And if you wake, exact same thing. if you wake the tickle monster, watch out! Tickle monster is a fickle beast, and and he will attack. But uh, only every three or four trips through the room, you know, you oh, got to catch him off guard. That, that's right. That's how I. That's how I get rest. <laughs> that's a good maneuver. Uh, it yeah. Um, well, Lucas, my cat is locked in my roommate's room. What do I do? Just a heads up. Uh, I'm going to give the context of this Yahoo question because I uh, I don't have a roommate. I have a wife and I have two children. This is not me. This is a Yahoo answer uh, question. So my cat is locked in my upstairs room. What do I do? I'm so upset. I've been listening to my cat crying locked in the room uh, uh, of someone I rent to. I had a family event, so I had to leave and return three hours later. And my cat is still in the room crying and wanting out. I tried calling and texting her, and finally, five minutes ago, she responded. She uh, she called and told me, it's okay. I said, no, don't tell me it's okay. I had to listen to her cry before you left, and now I'm going home after three hours, and I'm going to have to listen to her cry longer. Then I told her she needs to come home and let her out. She said she is on her way, but I could feel the tension. I, I love that part. I, I leave home at times and I have to leave the cat indoors during the day, but she has at least access to her food and water and the entire house. I'm walking on thin ice with her because I need her and I don't think I've been her favorite person lately. How should I handle this without it causing more tension between us? <laughs> thin water. 
so yeah, my first thing I went through the notes and was looking at it, and my first thing was thin water question mark. I'm sure she means thin ice, but it doesn't really matter if water is thin or I mean thin water is actually safer because you can't go down that far. So it sounds like she's in good shape. Uh, my second thing was so you get a cat. I don't understand how her cat got. Did the roommate lock her cat? in the room like the other person's cat in their own room like how do they like i'm confused as to how this thing whole came to be but i mean there is an obvious solution like no don't unless you live on a submarine with watertight doors chances are there's like you know a good inch or half an inch of space so you just got to ping cat food under there like crocodile chips just ping 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 and you can keep them fed i remember there's an episode of the seinfeld where he had a meat slicer and the same thing a cat got locked in an apartment and he was slicing meat super thin and sliding it under the door for the cat you could put a little straw under there and a funnel on your end pour some water in so it puts a puddle on the floor for the cat oh yeah i, I mean really this i guess when i read this i didn't know where the cat ended and the roommate began um because the way that it's worded, uh, she was she talking with the cat. I had to leave three hours later and the cat is still in the room crying and wanting out. I tried calling and texting her. Well, duh, no cat can use its paws to answer your text or call. Um, but then it said she responded. Uh, she told me, okay, and it's okay. So to me, I'm looking at this thinking the cat's fine. It just told you it's fine. It's in the room. It's chilling. It's good. Yeah. Um, Best case scenario, this thing like horks up a, a, a fur ball and the roommate will be more careful next time. The other thing is, but I could feel the tension. It's a <laughs> dramatic story of two roommates and a cat that's causing issues between them. When we were, when we were roommates, there was four of us. We didn't have any animals. Uh, what, what well, would one, we, one of the roommates is kind of like, no. It's no, 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 no. <laughs> what, what would we have done? If th had this well, been us, if if Nick had locked a cat, if Nick had left a cat, if he got a cat and left it in the room and he left and we came home, the three of us, uh, Matt, you and myself, what would we have done? Uh, well, first of all, we'd be real concerned about why there was a cat in our apartment. Um, I would have probably ignored it. I think Barbara would have got like upset. I think he would have been really concerned for that cat. Like he's a better human than I am, I would say. So I think he would have like busted down that door and then given uh, Dunfield a good uh, talking to about you know <laughs> cat neglect or something like that. It's amazing we didn't have cats. Do you remember when we used to leave fish on the? Was it one of us left fish? Uh, we, uh, we used to have a like our sink and there was a window at the sink. Oh and yeah. There was a little ledge and someone left fish out there for a really long time. Do you remember that? I don't. Yeah, that that was a thing. Anyway, so it's amazing <laughs> and, that we did not have cats. And uh, if, if I'm going to guess who had the fish, it's probably one of the Islanders. And if it's not you, it must be Matt. You know what? It wasn't either of us. And if it wasn't you... Uh-oh. Uh-oh. We figured it out. So I'm looking at this situation. Uh, you know, I understand what it's like to have roommates... I have a cat right now, and I understand, so I understand what it's like to have a cat, but I've never mixed those two worlds together. That's not been something that I have, you know, experienced. From the roommate dynamic, you know, you've called your roommate. You've said you've got to come. Your cat's crying. Um, at first, I thought the, the writer of this, it was their cat. I didn't understand why they weren't letting their cat out of the room. Uh, I realize it's their roommate's cat. I, I'm a simple person, so I was confused. Oh, no, that's what I thought, too, because the, the Yahoo question says, my cat is locked in my roommate's room. So it's the roommate's oh. cat? 
I'm so upset. I've been listening to my cat crying locked in the room of someone I rent to. There it is. The cat is locked in the roommate's room. Yeah. Okay. How to get there? That yeah. That's a good question. So the roommate, you should be coming home and letting that cat out right now. Mm-hmm. Or person that owns the cat stop renting to this cat hater. That's mm-hmm. there you go. You know what? Knock that door down. Toss the bags out. That's my that's my response. There you go. Ain't nobody got time and, for that. And almost maybe this roommate has like a key lock kind of thing. But if it's just one of those like normal house door locks, I mean, all you need is the inside of a pen. You can pop those puppies open in like two seconds. I once lived in a house that had the the pins on the wrong side. Every time, oh, really? every time you left and would lock your door, it 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 didn't matter <laughs> because the hinges were on the outside of the door. <laughs> Deadbolt, you know, the normal lock, nobody cares. In fact, I'm not kidding. I locked myself out before and had to use that, pop the pins, take my door off to get into the house. That works. Well, I guess I don't know that we've answered this. We've had some laughs at it. I really I'm walking on thin water. So she's yeah. swimming. You're swimming in 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 a relationship of cat hate and you need to get out of that. <laughs> Lucas is pepperoni pizza vegetarian. My, 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 my vegan friend always has pepperoni pizza. He claims it's vegetarian because during the process of treating the meat and spicing it to become pepperoni, it loses its meatness. Is this right? Another question from an uh, anonymous Yahoo answer person. This sounds like someone who just really wants to eat pepperoni. I mean, like, I was thinking about it, and, like, obviously it's not vegetarian if it's made with pepperoni um but i was thinking you know it is a more sustainable meat because you know obviously pepperoni is made from you know like leftover parts so no one's going out and killing a kid killing a pig looking for the eyelids and the tails right like those are just the leftover bits so i mean if they're gonna be just if they're gonna go to waste turn them into pepperoni and they're pretty delicious and you know that's to me that's sustainable Pepperoni is an American variety of salami made from cured pork and beef mixed together and seasoned with paprika or other chili pepper. Cured pork and beef. It, um, just just for the record, if you uh, I know you already have your not a sponsor break figured out, but um, another another time you should do Chris Brothers pepperoni. Those things are amazing. Okay. I'll have to remember yep. that. Perhaps you could they, do your own not a sponsor segment. Chris Brothers Pepperoni. They make all of their pepperoni taste like salami. Wait. Is that what you want? I don't know. I'll figure it out. Okay. Is pepperoni pizza vegetarian? Absolutely not. It it has pepperoni, which is made from meat, uh, and loses its meatness. At what point does something lose it? At, at, what do you have to do to something for it to lose its meatness? At what point when you're barbecuing a hamburger do you go, oh, oh, that's not meat anymore? That's true. I mean, if you burned it real, real bad, it's technically, it's just char. carbon or whatever. Uh, just char. Char. So, I mean, it, 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 I guess maybe losing meatness could happen, but and only under the most uh, extreme of circumstances. But you, you know some vegetarians. They're looking for that extreme extreme pepperoni pizza experience that's vegetarian so like really char that pepperoni so if you're getting a pepperoni pizza ask for the good char and uh you're good and then you're good 
and then you're good. Feel feel good I, about I yourself. Did, I did know somebody one time. Well, I, I still know her. She still exists. Um, who <laughs> said she's like, yeah, I'm a vegetarian. I was like, cool. She's like, except chicken. I was like, I don't what? think that's a thing. <laughs> I think you just don't like beef. I've heard that other people have said this similar things to me, but they've said, but I still eat fish. Right. You're not a vegetarian. No. Still an animal. Well, I, uh, I, I pulled up an interweb question, Lucas. Ooh. And I, I've been looking, you know, I look on Yahoo Answers for like the silly questions and all that kind of stuff. But what I've noticed an awful lot is that there are people that are asking honest questions about scriptural stuff. And no one's really stepping in and answering it in a way that is um, actually informed by scripture. They're, you know, they're throwing down their own personal thoughts or they're throwing down, you know, um, they're mocking Christians and, and all that kind of stuff. And I see time after time, it's just fairy tales. So don't worry about it kind of thing. And um, the way this the way this question is worded is weird um, because, well, I'll just read it and then we can have some time to, uh, to have a have a conversation about it. But I saw this question and, and it said, why in the Bible does Satan appear to be a better person than God. Let me just get the let me just get the elephant out of the room. Um, spoiler alert: the Bible doesn't say that. Nowhere, nowhere in the Bible does it say anywhere that Satan appears to be better than God. There is all kinds of of uh, scripture about Satan. He goes through you know. There's different names: Lucifer. Um, you know, we use the term devil. Um, Beelzebub. Yeah, Beelzebub is one. And so what did you think when you read this, Lucas? Well, it's – I just don't understand where they get the idea of that. Like if they were saying like why does, you know, God – you know, there's sometimes people say like, you know, God can appear, you know, cruel or whatever because of some of the stuff that happened in the Old Testament. At least then like I don't – you know, they don't get the whole picture, but I get where they're coming from. I can't think of a single time in the Bible – where Satan comes off as the good guy and you're like, oh, you know, he's doing all right. Like, I don't get where they're coming. Right. Maybe it's from like a cartoon or something. I don't know. Yeah. You, what, what is it in movies where you're, you're rooting for like, you're rooting for the little guy in the movies? The anti-hero? Right. That, that is not what this is. Uh, this is, he's, you know, this is not that kind of story. Uh, I was looking a, a little bit um, for scripture on him just to kind of share. You know, it says this, you, uh, this is in Ezekiel. Uh, Ezekiel 28, 13 to 17. And you can see the whole, there's a whole exchange happening. Uh, and this is specifically with the King of Tyre, but it, this conversation talks about who, um, talks about Satan. You are the signet of perfection, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. You were in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was your covering, sardius, topaz, and diamond, beryl, onyx, and jasper, sapphire, emerald, and carbuncle, and crafted in gold were your settings and your engravings. On the day that you were created, they were prepared. You were an anointed guardian cherub. I placed you... You were on the holy mountain of God in the midst of the stones of fire you walked. You were blameless in your ways from the day you were created till unrighteousness was found in you. In the abundance of your trade, you were filled with violence in your midst and you sinned. So I cast you as a profane thing from the mountain of God and I destroyed you. O guardian cherub from the midst of the stones of fire, your heart was proud because of your beauty. You corrupted your wisdom for the sake of your splendor. Um, 
there's a couple of things I picked up on when I read this, and I've I've heard different things. And Lucas, I, I'm not sure if this is uh, an area that you've you know spent any time in, but it talks about how Satan was in Eden before unrighteousness was found in him. Did you catch that? You know, I did not. Uh, I, I act to be honest. I got t- caught up in the word carbuncle. That's a fun word, but uh, you can show. <laughs> Sorry. We can go. We can, we can do better than that. We can do better. Uh, verse thirteen says, "You were in Eden, the Garden of God." And then it go. It lists all this, all the stones and different things. And carbuncle is in there. Um, when he, and and then uh, well and and then it says in seventeen or sorry not seventeen. Uh, it says in fifteen, "You were blameless in your ways from the day you were created till unrighteousness was found in you." So does that mean that there was a time where, you know, just looking at this, that he was in Eden until unrighteousness was found in him? You know, we we see, we have the story in Genesis of, you know, the serpent that came, but mm-hmm. just kind of looking at this, I, I'm not going to be dogmatic on it. I'm, I just think it's interesting. Yeah, I guess that's something I, I always, in my head, I guess I always assumed that like the whole fall and all that stuff all happened like, super duper before anything, you know, like Adam and Eve as well, I guess it did, but like I never pictured him in the garden, I guess. Yeah. I, I know that I often, when I would think of the garden, it just seemed like it in my head, like time frame wise, it was like, God just made everything. And then boom, we yeah. send, right. We, <laughs> it was like, we didn't an opening we, weekend, right. We didn't even make it a day and we messed this up, but it would seem to me that there was more time. There was things that were happening before, um, before the fall. And just on a, just kind of looking at this, it seems like um, it would have been Lucifer, you know, had an opportunity to go to the garden. Uh, now, I don't, I don't know that I see that anywhere else in scripture except here. So again, I wouldn't be dogmatic on it. The other thing is this, and I've heard this an awful lot. Um, people will say, you know, um, Lucifer is a fallen angel. Have you ever, you ever heard that? Oh, yeah. Um, I know that in the past I've said that. Ezekiel 28, verse 14, you were an anointed guardian cherub. He wasn't, he, he wasn't an angel there. He was an angelic being, but we know that we have the angels, the seraphim and the, and the cherub, cherubim. Mm-hmm. Um, and he was the top. He was the head of, of that. He was like, you know, second, second in command kind of thing after God. And, and then um, your heart was proud because of your beauty. You corrupted your wisdom for the sake of your splendor. I, I, just, I just, I, you know, he doesn't appear better than God. In fact, he's, you know, yes, there is all kinds of stuff that's said about him. But I think the main thing that, that I would draw here is this. Um, you were an anointed guardian cherub. I placed you. You were on the holy mountain of God. Um, and where was it that it said that he created him? Um, you know, Lucifer was created by God, which, you know, that's a, that's a whole, oh, here we go. Uh, verse 13, it, after all the lists of different material, on the day that you were created, they were prepared. He was created. He cannot be better than God. Um Lucas, do you have any other thoughts on that? I do have one other scripture. Um, on these ones, I, I don't. Uh, I think you kind of hit 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 the good ones. 
Isaiah 14, 12 to 17 says this. It's, it's talking specifically about the fall of Lucifer. So uh, is Lucifer better than God? Well, let's have a look here. How you are fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning. How you are cut down to the ground, you who weaken the nations. For you have said in your heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will also sit on the mount of the congregation on the farthest sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the most high. Yet you shall be brought down to Sheol to the lowest depths of the pit. Those who see you will gaze at you and consider you saying, is this the man who made the earth tremble, who shook the kingdoms, who made the world as a wilderness and destroyed its cities, who did not open the house of, who did not open the house of the prisoners, of his prisoners? Um, so you see the story of Satan, how pride, pride overtook him and he wanted to be like God. Uh, he wanted to ascend into heaven. He wanted, you know, exalt his throne above the stars of God, sit in the mount of the congregation. And then he, and then he said this, I will be like the most high. Even that acknowledgement means he is not better. Yeah. Right. Like he basically said that he is not the most mm -hmm. high. And, so is he better? No, but Lucas, you had made a, I was looking at your notes um, you should you should go through your notes because I think you've made a really good point about um, he is not better scripturally you know based on what we see in scripture certainly he's not he's a created being um, scripture would say that he was a cherub and that that pride overtook him because of his beauty and his wisdom and and he wanted to be God and he wanted worship and that just does not fly. Like, like an angel, um, yeah. I, I when I when I was reading through this, and I don't know if this is necessarily necessarily where the question asker was getting to, but um, he's he's never appear even to me even appears to be a better person, obviously. But I can see how um, in our world he's he's can be more appealing to some people. You know, uh, Satan wants us to sin, uh, and he's really good at making sin look fun. And you know, he's you know they call him the you know the something of lies and because that's what father. he is he's the father of lies that's right he tells lies he's whispering lies in your ear all the time and and you know so every now and then you'll, you'll be doing something and something will just kind of come into your ear and you and you're like wait no that's not true that's a lie like why am i like oh that person doesn't like you or oh that person this or oh this person that and sometimes it's something that makes you feel worse about yourself sometimes it's something that make you feel makes you feel better about someone better than someone else but usually it's it's all going to be from lies and, and you know it's it appeals to our sinfulness our humanness is kind of what i thought right that um you, when we talk about sin we wouldn't sin if it wasn't appealing i'm using air quotes here right right because we all recognize on the other side of sin we realize there's the guilt and the shame and and the embarrassment and all that emptiness but on the front side of sin, it looks appealing. It looks exciting. Um, it looks fun. You know, whatever you want, whatever you want to use, whatever terms. Um, to me, you know, a great, a great analogy for that is sin is like a Costco cake. And I say that because Costco cakes look amazing, but they're actually, 
they're actually kind of gross. Like they have this weird stuff in the middle and they're like, they're not very good at all. So you see one like, Oh, that looks so good. And I, sometimes you'll see one coming in. You're like, Oh man, I can't wait to get me some of that cake. And then you like, you see the box like, Oh, a Costco cake. Oh no, no thanks. Hard pass. Well, if we ever hoped at having Costco as a sponsor, we've just lost that. So much for getting my Kashi for no, free. We encourage them. We encourage them to make better cakes is what we just did. Okay. Get, get on your game, Costco. Um, you know, the other thing, if you were to look in 2 Corinthians, there's a conversation that's happening and talking about uh, Satan. And let me see here. Uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 11, and in specifically the verses 14. I'm just looking for maybe some context. Um, Paul is talking about false apostles, people that will come in and try to, to bring dissent, try to, uh, you know, bring lies, but doing it under the kind of the banner of Christ, um, you know, people will come in and pretending to be something that they're not and try to deceive many. Uh, and so I'm going to just kind of pick up here, verse 12, and I will keep on doing what I'm doing in order to cut the ground from under those who want an opportunity to be considered equal with us in the things they boast about. For such people are false, false apostles, deceitful workers masquerading as apostles of Christ. Now get this. And no wonder, for Satan himself masquerades as an angel of light. It's not surprising then if his servants also masquerade as servants of righteousness. Their end will be what their actions deserve. So maybe why does he seem so appealing? Because he, he's masquerading as an angel of light. He is trying to deceive us. You know, people talk about conspiracy theories, and if you believe in them, uh, that you must have some kind of mental illness, and that kind of bothers me a little bit. Um, I enjoy good conspiracy theory and stuff like that and, and all that. It's crazy when they, you know, when you see that they've come true. But it would be ridiculous for us to not believe that Satan has a plan and and is working, you know, in behind the scenes and in different ways, pulling strings to manipulate situations and circumstances because his plan is to keep people from the a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. And for those of us that have that, that are Christians, it's to keep us defeated, tired, sad, um, depressed, in every way useless to the kingdom. Don't don't make don't make any mistake that he is not attacking and and working and masquerading and, and deceiving and lying. Um, so you know people would be like, well, that's just a conspiracy theory. Well, no, you know, scripture's pretty clear. The fact that that we have an enemy, we don't fight against flesh and blood, but against principalities and darkness and spiritual wickedness in high places. Um, don't make any mistake that there is an enemy, and we need to be very aware of that. And he, will, he comes as an angel of light and he brings all of this stuff that we think is, is tantalizing and, and, you know, good to the eyes and good for the body. If it feels good, do it, that whole thing. And, and really it brings death and emptiness and despair. Well, I've heard people say it, you know, different places, movies and stuff. But, you know, the greatest trick the devil ever pulled was getting the world to think he didn't exist. Oh, um, so true. And, and, you know, like um, every time you see like one of those little cartoon devils or whatever, that's kind of playing into the whole thing. Like, oh, you know, the devil's this little cartoon trickster or whatever. But no, it's he's he's real and he's, you know, he's he is out to get you. Not not in a way to make you, you know, fearful or, you know, blame every little thing that happens on him. Like, oh, I stubbed my toe, you know, Satan. No, yeah. but but 
you know, he wants to trip you up. He, if you're a if you're not a Christian, he wants to keep you from being one. If you are a Christian, he wants to make you the most miserable, uh, worst example of a Christian he can. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so just kind of keep those in mind, listener. If I mean, I'm assuming that you're listening to this person that asked this question. Um, why in the Bible does Satan appear to be a better person than God? Number one, Scripture does not say that anywhere. I just want to recap this whole thing. He was a created being which means that he cannot be better. Uh, he even acknowledges in his own little mini rant and pride that he wants to be like God um, and wants all of this splendor and stuff, but it's not for him. And we also see that he masquerades as an angel of light and, and is trying to look better. His whole plan is to try to look better, make people think that he is better than God. Why, why would we choose sin you know, over God and freedom because he is masquerading as an angel of light to deceive us. So just keep those things in mind. Uh, certainly he is not better. And I can, I can attest to that. Um, right now we've got a scam alert. Scam alert. Scam alert. Scam alert. Uh, so Lucas, as you know, we received uh, an email from Miss Coley Bali. I still an opportunity. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, I wish I wish you could all see his face, Lucas's face, as he said that. Leaned into the camera, got the finger up in the air. An opportunity, anyway. Um, so I, I just I've been bringing this email to the listeners so that they can kind of take part in it. We haven't had a whole lot of conversation. Uh, the last thing I think I let everybody know was that I responded to them. I responded to her and just said, you know, how can we help, kind of thing. Well, we heard back. And, uh, and it's been, it's been quite the conversation. Uh, I'm not going to read the whole thing because it's quite long. And frankly, it's a lot of repeated information that you've already heard. Although there are different, there are different things I will point out like her wicked uncle, John, um, or no, her wicked uncle and this wicked uncle sold the, the father's estate to the Chinese expatriates. I mean, the, I'm, I feel like I'm in a Tom Clancy book right now. She's just weaving an intricate tapestry. It, you know, you put so many lies in that you know, it, it looks like truth. After so many lies, it just it just looks too real now. <laughs> I, I don't know where the lies stop and the truth begins, or maybe it's all been true this whole time, uh, or or not. The other thing is that this uh, Miss Colibali is is expressing interest in coming to Canada and. Uh, would like me to recommend some nice universities for her to go to uh, and I'm to invest the money if you remember listener 27.5 million into a uh, profitable firm over there in my country in her words this money does not matter for me but I all I want is to secure my life wow uh, now this is this this is the part that I would like to share. Also, as I told you, which she didn't, I have the death certificate of my beloved father and the deposit certificate, which my father used to deposit the money with my name as the beneficiary, which I have deposited a copy uh, to the bank. And then she goes in and tells me where she's staying and the, the pastor actually that I can call to reach out and talk. And, th and now the shoe has dropped. I need your, this is from her. I need your full information. I'm going to read it the way she wrote it. I need your full informations 
including your full names, telephone numbers, home and office address. As soon as I have the above informations, I will put things in other by sending the account informations and the bank contact to you for you to contact them as, um, and ask them how my inheritance fund could be transferred to your bank account over there in your country. Uh, while, I, while I will be coming over to meet you as soon as the bank transfer the fund. Have a nice day while I hope to hear from you soon. <clears throat> Yours forever, Zanab. Classic Zanab. Oh my goodness. So it's been, it's, you know, it's been a roller coaster for her. Uh, Chinese expatriates, uh, you know, their father passing, a wicked uncle. Missions uh, camp, well, Bible like, camp. Uh, yeah, she's at some. She's at church camp. At church camp. So, my response was simple. I thanked her for reaching out again and said, um, "Before we go any further with this, I would like to see, if possible, the proof of the death certificate and the deposit certificate that you mentioned." Show me your dead dad certificate. <laughs> That one felt a little weird to ask for. If I'm being honest, that one felt a little awkward. Uh, but I sent it because she said she referenced it before. As I told you, I have the death certificate and the deposit certificate. But she never mentioned that before. That was brand new info for me. So I thought, well, if you've got them and you're talking about them, then... She just loves bragging about her dad's death certificate. Just shoot me off an email with uh, with with some confirmation here. Um, Pics or it's not real? Is that... Is that what they say? If it's not Facebook official? That's what I hear. Something like that. Anyway, so that was two weeks ago. I sent that. I was hoping to stagger some of the info coming for the podcast to make it consumable. Uh, and I've heard nothing. It, se <laughs> it, seemed, it seems like I've asked too much and it's over. For the basics. Too much. Yeah. All I wanted was proof. I was ready. You know, I had called RBC and said, listen, guys, get the coffers open because it's coming. Right. Like, open the doors wide. There's a transfer coming. You're not going to believe it. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, it's that time of the show for our Not a Sponsor ad, the part of the show where we highlight a product that will not give us any money, but we think does it better than anybody else. Nobody does it as I mentioned at the onset of this episode, I was sick when I was recording this. And when you're sick, the last thing that you want to worry about is, are my cherry-flavored lozenges making me fat? Well, have no fear with Sipacol Extra Strength Sucrose-Free Lozenges. Their Extra Strength Sore Throat and Cough Mixed Berry Lozenges, 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 Candies, Get fast-acting sore throat and cough relief with mixed berry flavor Sipacol. Our cough and sore throat lozenges provide maximum strength relief to help you feel better. You may also like them in honey, lemon, cherry, and tangerine. I was sick and I kept popping these things into my mouth. Um, actually, I realized later I was going over the recommended dose and that explains a lot of the loopiness throughout the week. But these things coat your throat. They make it so that you can get on with your day. Sipacol is the brand trusted and recommended by doctors and pharmacists to relieve your sore throat pain. And in my opinion, nobody does it better at keeping my throat clean than Sipacol. Not a sponsor. 
Well, welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. We're glad that you've stuck with us through all the thick and thin, through the scams, and through the other things that we do. As you know, we love to look at those Wesley questions, and I'm sure this is old hat for you that have been listening, but in case you're new, basically we're looking at one of the 22 questions John Wesley and his brother and a group of men would ask each other in their accountability group. They would ask each other these questions each time they met. And, uh, you know, I, uh, we've, been, we've had different guests on. We've talked about them. And I'm beginning to wonder how long they met. I think we talked about this. Or I think I talked with the last guest about this. Um, were these questions things that they went into depth on, like we're trying to do a little bit? Or were they questions to kind of focus each other? Um, because 22 questions and a bunch of men in a room, how long? Like, I don't know. That's that's a lot of questions. Now it was like back in the olden days, like no TV, no nothing. Like you just sit around and watch the fire, or ask yourself a bunch of questions. No Wi-Fi. No, 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 no bars. Um, you said it was it was John Wesley and his brother. Do we know his brother's name? Charles. No, I was hoping it was gonna be like Jim or something. No, check now check your hymn book. Charles Chuckle do. Ch- yep, Chuck Wesley. Check your hymn books. He's in there. Um, <clears throat> so the question is this. Is there anyone whom I fear, dislike, disown, criticize, hold a resentment towards, or disregard? If so, what am I doing about it? Now, Mm. there's an interesting question. Is there anyone whom I fear? And then the other ones, you know, kind of off of that are slightly different about dislike, you know, disown, criticize, uh, things like that. I think this is an interesting question. What if that person was in the room with them? Yeah. I'm real, real scared of Chuck Wesley. Yeah. Chuck's freaking me out. (laughs) I think this is an important question though, for us to look at. Um, because I think scripture talks an awful lot about this. You know, when Jesus summed up all the commandments and everything, he summed it up with, you know, basically if, if I could put it in our language, love God and love others, right? Everything, everything hangs on those two things. So within that, loving others, is there, is there a space to be criticizing people, holding resentment, uh, that kind of thing? I, it's funny because when I first read this one, um, I skipped over fear. I didn't mean to. I just I saw a bunch of like kind of angry emotions. But like fear, we don't always think of fear as negative. We think of it, you know, we don't think of it as a good one. But um, we, like, we know that like, you know, disowning someone, holding resentment, we know that's bad. But fear, fearing a person, you know, is bad. And we, we look, you know, look at, you know, King Saul, like, you know, he was afraid of Goliath. But the question is, who on this earth should you fear? Um, you know, if you're a Christian, there should be no one. I mean, they can, they could physically hurt you. Most time it's not going to happen, but like they, they could, with the worst, you know, David looked at Goliath and said, you know, the worst he could do is kill me and he's not going to because I know who's on my side. So, you know, I haven't really been fearful of anyone since like there was one kid in like uh, like early high school that was kind of like a bully to me. Not a lot, but uh, just a little taste. And I had a little bit of fear of that guy. But if I had been thinking about it, you know, I shouldn't like, you know, he can say mean things to me or, you know, deuce or beat me up or whatever. But um, you know, he can't change who I am as a person unless I let him fear just like these other things can make you a worse person. Sure. And, and, you know, Matthew 10, 28 says, and do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul rather feel fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Now, as a, as a kid going to elementary, you're probably not <laughs> chanting that mantra, right? Like you're probably not repeating that scripture. Um, 
but it, it was funny because I also did the same thing as you. I skipped over fear. I saw it there, but then I saw all these other ones that kind of rolled together. And, and fear doesn't even need to be fear for your safety. Because I don't, I don't know how to communicate this, but, but sometimes there are people out there that just seem to be maybe aggressive. And, and when you're around them, there, there's a sense of fear that you have, not because of your safety, maybe just like a mental fear uh, of being around someone. I'm not sure if that's making any sense, Lucas. <laughs> I see that you're typing. No, no, but I, I, I know what you mean. Like the, the mental fear, like it's, it's like you said, it's not a physical thing. Like you're afraid they're going to hit you or anything. It's, it's more like, are, are you trying to get to the fact that more like just being around them kind of like stresses you out almost? Yeah, it, it could be like that. Um, you know, there, there are people out there that can be very, um, blunt and I'm not trying to, I don't mean I'm not trying to be judgmental in saying any of this thing but sometimes people will say oh yeah. my personality you know they they thrive on um, confrontation so so people that are that have like strong personalities and and stuff like that that you will almost avoid because you're afraid <laughs> to just be around them yeah and I, do, I do does that I do make sense and um, when I was when I was, I was thinking actually, uh, you, I think you touched on it at one point, but you know, fear uh, doesn't tell the truth. And there's a song I keep hearing on Joy FM all the time because that's the Christian radio station there where I live. They're, they're fantastic. They're not a sponsor, they're fantastic. but that'd yeah. be a great sponsor. Um, and uh, it's a song called "Fear Is a Liar," and it's all about this guy talking about all the things that fear will, like you know, fear is a liar. It'll, you know, it'll steal your joy. It'll steal this and steal that. And and it's a, it's a great song, and it, it's true. And you know, there's so many th- times that like you let fear keep you from doing things. And, you know, that's something I talk about with students in leadership class, you know, like um, if you want to be successful in life, you need to not be ruled by fear. You need to not be afraid of failing. You know, there's a lot of people who are so scared of failure that they, they don't try anything ever. And then they get the other life with a lot of regrets. The song is fear is a liar by Zach Williams. You can check that out on YouTube, not a sponsor. And I'm sure you can find it on Spotify and, and anywhere else that music is played. When I was reading this, I kind of got in my head to this idea of, you know, relationships that were strained where there was, there was an issue, you know, um, like the holding resentments and, and disregarding people and, and disowning people and disliking people. Now disliking people, I'm like, shoot, (laughs) cause we're called to love everyone, but I don't like everybody. And, and, and I don't mean, I don't mean that I dislike everybody or those that I don't like, but, but, you know, and I tell my kids that I'm like, guys, you know, you need to respect everyone and, and, and love people. It doesn't mean the ooey gooey love, but you don't have to like everybody. Um, and and then I see this, is there anyone whom I dislike? Well, okay. I'm not going to go through a list because it's honestly, if there was, it's a pretty stinking short list. I'm, I'm, I don't really have many issues with people, frankly. Um, but I started kind of going through that and, and thinking about, you know, if there's things between people, is this kind of maybe where that focused their, their thoughts? Uh, it remind me, reminded me of a scripture, uh, Matthew 18, five to 20. And it's, you know, it's the, you know, this one, if your brother sins against you, um, if your brother sins against you, go tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you've gained a brother. 
But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you, that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, go tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Truly I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Uh, and again, I say to you, if two or two of you agree on earth about anything they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For, the, for where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am among them. So you see that there, I, th- I think when I, I, I think we see this relationship between people and, and, and reconciliation that, that we, uh, as the Christian need to be about reconciliation with our relationships and to, you know, we see this person going back and forth and bringing more people kind of into, into the story. Um, but eventually there's a point where you just kind of, you know, kick, uh, kick the dust off your shoes and, and, and go. But then I think, you know, I think of my own life. And so I read that and I started thinking, okay, Lord, is there, is there anyone that I need to, to talk to? Um, you know, Matthew five, 23 to 24, just, um, just back a little bit. So if you're offering your gift at the altar and, the, and there you remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go first be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. So to me, I'm looking at this whole, you know, resentment and dislike and all that kind of stuff and, and wondering if we're, we're, you know, maybe this question is geared to get us into the place of trying to reconcile those relationships. Yeah. Like for all these things like disliking, disowning, criticizing, um, it's something you can see at school or, you know, at work where, you know, there's that one person who kind of rubs you the wrong way. And you use that as an excuse to kind of put distance between you and that person. Mm-hmm. And the further they are from you, the more, the easier it is to kind of not see them who they really are, but almost make them like a caricature. Like, oh, that person always, you know, does the wrong thing. Or, oh, they're always so incompetent or always so whatever. Like, whatever that little thing is that bugs you, you make it into so much worse than it is. And you stop seeing them as a human being and as a person. And you start seeing them as just like the person that you don't like. And you almost look for reasons to be annoyed with them at that point. Sure. So as we're looking at this question, the other thing that stands out to me is this whole idea of criticize. Uh, Is there anyone whom I criticize? And, you know, Matthew 7, 3 to 5 says, Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that's in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take that speck out of your eye when there's a log in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Um, why are we criticizing people? I don't, but it, it's so stinking easy to do. Someone does something differently than what you would do, and you're like, I wouldn't do it like that. One of the one of the joys about being in any kind of leadership position is knowing that people are watching your every decision and criticizing you, whether you make a good one or a bad one. It, you, it doesn't seem to matter. That's the freeing thing about it, though, is once you've come to terms with that, like someone's going to be annoyed either way. I might as well make the right decision, not the popular decision. Sure, but you think about uh, I have the hardest time watching any kind of political thing, you know, question and answer periods and stuff like that, especially on Facebook. Um, and looking at the comments, I, I don't agree with all of our, our leaders' decisions and all that kind of stuff. Uh, and there needs to be a way that we can have 
civil conversation and and talk about this and share opinions and stuff like that. But I have a it's I don't know. Sometimes I really wonder that we've we've crossed the line and we're being very critical and and criticizing people and, and we're not in their shoes. And I'm not trying to make excuses for bad decisions and stuff like that, but we're also human. We we don't make every right decision. Um and, and so why, again, I look at that scripture, you know, about, about the log and about the speck and, and, and deal with your own stuff, you know, before, before you go and, and start talking to people about their, about their stuff. I often find on Facebook, the people that complain the loudest are usually the people that if you know them, like their life is like 10 kinds of messed up, but, but getting on Facebook and saying like, everyone's an idiot, but me, look how, <laughs> you know, you know, and they're talking about that and. But you're because that makes that's how they feel better is by making everyone else like in their eyes, they're all not so great. Now, let's be careful that we don't criticize them. (laughs) Yeah, let's not. Sorry, I fell into the trap. Oh, I failed this. I failed this week. (laughs) Maybe Uh, next week I'll get a Wesley question I can ace. Oh, well, but but how do you have conversation around it? And and how how do you how do you talk about criticism without drawing, you know, some kind of comparison or something about it to show as an example but you know it's it's an it's an important question to ask are we are we criticizing other people and uh and then disregarding people you know is there someone that we just straight up disregard that we've written off that we want nothing to do with that that we don't give any value to or the time of day to that's a tough question Especially if the answer is yes, because if the answer is yes, what what makes us so great that that we can that we can do that? I I, I find that it's just it's it's all about a lot of these things like you know you know criticizing people and everything like that. A lot of it has to do with and holding resentment. It's because your focus isn't on what it should be. Your focus is should be on um, one you know God. Um, and then two, yourself, not in a selfish way, but as in like, how can I get better? Um, and then, you know, when you're, when you're focusing on other people, it should only be to help them, not like to try to compare you to them. Um, one quote I just pulled up here a second ago that I, I really like, um, and it said, great minds discuss ideas, average minds discuss events, small minds discuss people. Uh, so they are, uh, it says that they're from Eleanor Roosevelt, but I always I thought that was a good quote of hers. Although I forgot she was the one who said it, but I still enjoyed it. Hmm. The other, uh, the last scripture that I had for this question was from Matthew 6, uh, 14 to 15. Just so you know, all, all the scriptures that we've looked at in regards to this have been Jesus speaking. This isn't anyone else talking. This is um, God, the son talking about our relationships between each other. And he's saying, uh, for if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your father forgive your trespasses. We love God, love people. You know, the opposite of this Wesley question could could be, do you love people? To put things in the positive, do you love others? Because uh, if, if we're loving others, then we're not going to criticize them. If we're loving them, then we're going to seek reconciliation. We're not going to hold resentment. Do you love people? Yeah, you might not want to have the long conversation with the close talker, but you're not going to disregard them. Um, if you're going to love people, you're not going to worry about 
you know, this whole fear, you know, perfect, perfect love casts out all fear. Whenever I'm, whenever I'm having a hard time, like getting along with somebody or, um, usually for, you know, in my job, it'd be like, you know, one particular kid's driving me bananas or something like that. Um, and if I'm starting to get those like negative thoughts, um, I usually just say, I just remind myself like Jesus died on a cross for that kid, for that person. Like yeah. if that person was the only one on earth, he would have came and he would have died for him. So, you know, take her easy. Like <laughs> there's a, just remember that that's a real good way to, to refocus. Wow. Yeah. Um, we're going to move on from this unless Lucas, is there anything else that you have um, for this question? Is there anyone whom I fear, dislike, disown, criticize, hold a resentment towards or disregard? And if so, what am I doing about it? We never really touched on that whole last part. Um, to me, mm -hmm. it, it would be about, it, it would be about reconciliation and it would be about loving as, you know, you just said it, recognizing that Christ died for these people as much as he died for us and, and looking at them through his eyes instead of our own. Mm. Yeah. I think it's just important. A lot of those things you get caught up in just in drama, like, Oh, this person, that person, whatever. Like you shouldn't be spending so much time thinking about other people, like thinking, think about God, think about how you can be a better person. Um, you know, think about how you can be a better Christian, but don't spend all your time getting caught up in the drama because it doesn't lead anywhere productive. Now, if I was being honest, well, I've been honest this whole time, but <laughs> my initial reaction to this, if so, what am I doing about it to all these things is I organize a paintball game <laughs> and I invite yeah. them. I used to tell, I used to tell people after doing uh, youth ministry for 15 years that, uh, the, be the best therapy I've ever had has been paintball games where I invite all the kids that have driven me crazy and that, you know, won't stop talking when I'm praying. That happened tonight. Uh, I was praying. I was. We were praying, and uh, and a, and a kid was talking. So I I kind of tweaked my prayer and and said, Lord, if you would, if you could just uh, make make the talker real uncomfortable right now, and and take sleep from them tonight, and uh, and all this kind of stuff. Um, You're praying for them to be smited. Yeah. But uh, but anyway. So yeah, so what am I doing about it? Organizing a paintball game. That's what I'm doing about it, but not really, <laughs> but maybe. So if I eat myself, would I become twice as big or disappear completely? That's a question. That's a legitimate question someone's asking. I like it because at first you're like, no dummy, but then you're like, wait a second. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, you start to think no about dummy. it. Like, how would this work? Um, but I think, so they're right. Your mass never changes. Um, you wouldn't become twice as big, like you know, if you eat a big pizza, you don't have a big like round pizza, and you know. So I gotta say, I mean, obviously you would die at some point. So um, just a heads up, the whole that the on our notes where it says your mass never changes, that was not from them. That was not okay. their context. That was from me going, this is stupid because your mass never changes. But I like the idea of twice as big, like you could eat so much that like you would balloon up to twice the size, you know, um, but no, obviously like you would, you know, you, I'm, I don't know how much of yourself you could eat without until, you know, you, you couldn't eat yourself anymore. I can't eat that much anymore. I, do, I can never make money on a buffet. I, I would like to know why this person is even considering this. This is one of those like Greek thought experiments, you know, that, where they would just sit around and and have thought experiments. Do you, remember, do you know what those? You know what those are? 
Yeah. Mm-hmm. You're shaking your head. Yes. Oh, there we go. Some audio. Thanks. <laughs> audio medium. Sorry. Yeah. If I eat I'll, my, just wear a, I'll wear a bell on my chin or something. So <laughs> if I eat myself, would I become twice as big or disappear completely? To me, you're going to be the exact same mass no matter what. And at some point, how how do you eat your mouth? How do, how do you eat the thing you're eating with? That's a real. So there's there, there's no such thing as disappearing completely. I anyway, I think this is your your question is crazy. Your mass never changes. Well, Lucas, we're wrapping up here, and uh, instead of doing a music recommendation, because you and I have both given them before, I'm wondering if you would, and if I could, give a book recommendation, something that has stood out to us, um, and so why don't you begin? All right. Uh, one I would recommend to folks would be, and it's one you may have heard of, because it's a super popular book, I but have it's it. called the, the Seven Habits of Highly Effective People by Stephen Covey. Um, it's just an awesome book. It sold a bazillion copies. Um, although I would actually recommend, and I recommend this to teens and to adults that they get the seven habits of highly effective teens. It's the same because I love the book that, I have that it. Stephen wrote. Hmm? I have it. You have it. Oh, there you go. I do. Uh, it's a, it's a great book. Um, but the, the, the one for highly effective people, it's, it's about twice as long as it needs to be like great, awesome points. And then he goes on too long. The, the other one though. It uh, okay. Uh, the other one though, the one for done up for teens. I find it's uh, it does a better job of kind of getting to the kind of getting to the meat of the subject. So uh, I highly recommend that one. It's it's stuff that it's common sense, but a lot of people don't do it. And when I teach a leadership class, we go through the seven habits and get the kids to kind of uh, really kind of take them on, and we try to get them to do them for the for the semester anyway. Mine would be By Signs and Wonders, How the Holy Spirit Grows the Church by Stephen D. Elliott. He's a, um, well, he's actually now, if I'm not mistaken, he is the national director for the Wesleyan Church in Canada. Um, but it's oh. a, it is a book all about how through scripture we see that the greatest times of conversion were when there were signs and wonders being done. And when the Holy Spirit was at work, and how we um, have tried, how we have tried to build the church and kind of kept the Holy Spirit at bay, but how really it's the Holy Spirit that grows the church. And uh, to me, I've I've gone through, I've read a few books, you know, I've read I've I've read books before, uh, but this one was one that I my highlighter never stopped with different thoughts and different things that stood out to me. I've had the opportunity to uh, to meet him a few times. He's spoken at a couple of our youth or at one of our youth rallies and at a pastors and spouses retreat that we've had. Really great guy, um, very insightful book on on church growth through the Holy Spirit, and so that would be my book recommendation. You can I think you can find that uh, and the Seven Habits of Highly Effective People or Teens by Stephen uh, Covey. Actually, I sat in a, I was in a training thing for the, the Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. Uh, oh really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Back in like my early twenties, I went to a I went to a thing for it, and anyway, yeah. Well, when you said um, <laughs> signs and wonders, and then you said um, you know he was a Wesleyan guy, all I could picture is a uh, smoke machine and lasers during the worship thing. <laughs> nope. I do call that the holy smoke when it comes on. Quite the opposite, actually. Very much the opposite of that is what this book is talking about. Uh, you can pick any of these books up online and you can get them in their paperback, hard copy, and all that kind of stuff. 
Well, thanks everybody for listening. Uh, if you do have any questions or comments, we love comments too, uh, you can drop them off at f- our Facebook account, our Twitter account, at Oxford Holy Club, or just email us at OxfordHolyClub at gmail.com. Well, thank you, Lucas, and thank you, listener. And remember, until next time, keep spiritually fit and have, have fun. fun.